join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at Easy Day Prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things at facebook.com slash ballisticradio. Hey, Joe. Round and third, headed for home. Hey. Man, I... I got to say, I really appreciate you being here. Um, you know, for for everyone listening, if you don't know, Joe's been involved in the show since episode one. Now, you haven't always been the guy in the booth, but for the last couple of years you have been. And and I can genuinely say that show wouldn't be what it was or is. Tenses, those are hard. Uh, show wouldn't be what it is without without your help, and I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you, and I remember how it was before I took over in the booth. Yeah, you know, some some folks were okay, uh, other folks were not okay at all, and and you know, just the fact that you actually take pride in it and care about it really makes a difference. So, so thanks for that. Well, thank you very much. I I love it too. Uh, so hey, guess what? What's that? This segment's brought to you by Centurion Arms. Even if you're just a cook, a lowly, lowly cook. Are you calling tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease? You need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work. And Centurion Arms knows it too. Veteran-owned and operated Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. Whether you just need a new rail or a barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rifle, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit CenturionArms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. So we are joined once again by the William April. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Glad to be back. Yeah, I feel like we just did this. Like, it's, I, I don't it's know. a miracle. Yeah, forty minutes ago. Uh, but uh, I, I do appreciate you taking time out of your your Saturday to to sit with me for a couple hours and talk about stuff. Um, oh, you know, no. not at all. Happy to be here. Hopefully, a lot of a lot of people will get something out of it. So. For those that uh, didn't listen to the last episode and, and missed your introduction of yourself, uh, who are you and what do you do? And, and what and what is wrong with those people? Why yeah. did they miss? Ah, man, I don't know. I don't know. I try and help gotta them. Give them a chance. Got to give them a chance to wake them up. Yeah. Well, my uh, um, yeah, I'm a mid-career mental health professional from New Orleans, Louisiana. I uh, practice psychology down here and um, also the principal in a company called uh, April Risk Consulting where we do training about self-protection and criminal mindset and um, risk management all around the country and uh, try and uh, blend those two elements quite a bit using the understanding that we have of, uh, of uh, human psychology to try and help ourselves be safer. Awesome. So we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I used to quite a bit, uh, and by quite a bit, there was 
like one a month, but we used to do Facebook user question episodes. And I haven't done it for uh, probably at least a year, and we're going to bring that back, or at least we're going to try and bring it back. We're going to see how it goes. But the format's going to be a little different in that instead of having a co-host that I'm answering questions, I, I actually think that the guests oftentimes have more useful information and insight to to bring to the discussion than I do. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Maybe I'll chime in. Maybe I won't. Depends. But uh, I, I, if you're ready, I'm ready. So I'll, I'll, I'm ready. I'll hit you uh, with the first one. And, and I apologize. I believe this is Michael Baird asks, how can someone best prepare themselves to understand the type of violence they might face? How do you make the mental parking space for the types of people you'll face? That's a great question because the looking across the line from sort of a normal human development to uh, a kind of person who's developed in a completely different way, um, you almost have to think about an, a, a sort of someone raised on another planet, let's say different experience of gravity, different experience of sunlight, different experience of everything. Um, and you can't share, well, let me rephrase that. You can't assume that there's a shared level of any kind of experience. Well, someone would never do this to me because our commonality as humans means that I would never do it to him. And so, of course, he'll get that. Well, you don't really get that assumption. Uh, it doesn't come with, with uh, you know, it's not prefix. It doesn't come on the menu. Um, and that's hard part to look at someone and say, uh, I can't count on his reactions being anything like mine under any circumstance. That's a little unnerving to look at someone who looks like you, you know, two eyes, you know, two ears, 10 fingers, and think, wow, he might have an absolutely different approach to, say, the value of human life. Um, that's, that's a little unnerving. It starts with the notion that each of us has a completely unique upbringing, and we, ha and we have to remember that we're not sharing them necessarily. Our values aren't generalizable meaning that person you bump into in the hallway might literally be somebody who will crack you in the head for bumping into them, whereas that would never cross your mind. Uh, and so we have to get that, that reality firmly affixed. That's the parking spot he's talking about so that we're not shocked into inaction when something we would never do happens. So like expanding on that just a little bit, so you sort of define the issue and why the issue happens, but as far as the preparation goes to go like, oh, I need to be able to do this thing. Well, how do I do this thing? Like, how do I, you know, it, it, it's simple, but it's not easy, at least in my opinion. How do you shift your way of thinking? What are some of the exercises that you can do or what, what are maybe some of the personal research do you need to do to, I guess, like prepare for that? It, the most important thing to, to try and eliminate is what we call the latency. Something happens and there's a processing pause, right? Uh, I see this odd behavior. I see uh, an aggressive action and there's a processing pause. The more you are identified around um, this could be dangerous, right? This could be a threat. The quicker you can respond, what we don't want to have happen, it's like in the olden days when some computers used to be slow and you'd hit enter and the computer would power down and then come up to speed. We don't have time for that. Um, whatever's going on, if it's a threat, you got to respond right now. I mean, right now. And so to get that latency as, as, as short as it can be, you have to have accepted that things that you can't understand 
can happen to you right now. Um, and they're not waiting for you to catch up. You know, the world is uh, providing input like a pitching machine. It doesn't love you. It doesn't hate you. It's just pitching. Um, but you have to be ready uh, to stand there and take the pitches. And that, that, that to me, is a, is a measure of how much of reality do you accept. Um, you know, the, the longer the latency, the longer the pause before you can start responding, the less acceptance of reality there is. And uh, so, you know, the organizations like the Secret Service, obviously, spend years and years and years perfecting this talent to hone their, their, the shock threshold of their agents so that when something happens, there's virtually no latency. They go from observation to action and none of this what the hell's going on phase. And so the, the most dangerous time for us is in the what the hell's going on phase because we're not defending ourselves. We're not not defending ourselves, but we're not really processing information either. So we've got to work very hard on accepting the world so that we can respond to it faster. Do you, do you think that you could um, sort of discuss how like Klein's recognition prime decision model plays into that, like in our context or for us? Yeah, it's, you know, there, there's the sense that the deeper your understanding of a background subject, the quicker you can start to take its measure. Um, it's it's kind of like if you've never seen a car accident and one happened right in front of you, you don't really know quite what to do. Well, if you're a 25-year EMT and there's a car accident right in front of you, you know exactly what to do. There's a rootedness in, in, the, in the knowledge of what will help and what won't help, and it allows you to dismiss unhelpful actions almost immediately. So there's always going to be a level where depth of expertise makes us safer. But we can't be an expert on everything. But can you be prepared to accept general things quickly? That's a more matter of, of, of cognitive flexibility. If you dedicate time to imagining and, and working your way through and thought exercises, what would I do if? You know, the brain doesn't know the difference between different kinds of stress. And if you can visualize very well, you can actually expose yourself to proxy stress that will help you perform at a higher level if the thing you imagined actually happens. And there's good reason to believe that you can prepare for action itself, even if the specific action you're thinking of doesn't happen. Just imagining yourself handling crises actually can help you do it better. Huh. Um, we've got about a minute left in this segment, so I, I'll, I'll ask like a simple kind of yeses. Yeses? That's not a word. Yes or no-ish question. But so, so do you think that in with that in mind, that exposing yourself to uh, more either video or written accounts of violent encounters is helpful in the long term? If absolutely. you, yeah, A absolutely. I use uh, I use the newspaper. I look at the newspaper every day, and I look for an event that has some relevance with my life right? Man robs dry cleaners. Well, I go to the dry cleaners and I can visualize myself in that circumstance. What would I do if? Where would I be standing when? What would happen if? And I, troubleshooting through that is actually, a, 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 it's sort of like shadow boxing for your mind. Um, and it helps you build that parking spot of, hey, this might happen. And if I have some familiarity with it, I might do better. Awesome. Uh, right now we're answering your questions with William April of April Risk Consulting. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 
1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories as well as the EDC X9 series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity as well as reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're answering your questions with William April of April Risk Consulting. Um, that was a pretty good one to start with. I I I I, I always kind of like that's a great question. Yeah, I'm like that. That was awesome. I'll try and pick another good question. Um, so this one comes from Rick Remington, who is an awesome dude and an awesome instructor out in the Pacific Northwest. If you happen to be out that way, uh, and the the current reigning tactical conference champion, uh, considering there wasn't one this year, so I, I guess it carried over. But but his question was, I understand that deselection is a process, but is there a best practice? It sounds odd to say, but the what we're looking for in deselection is we're trying to use our demeanor to influence predators. Um, and so the best way to uh, dissuade a predator is to be a not yes. They can't risk to bet on maybe. They bet on sure things. Well, they need to feel uncertain about you. And the quickest way to make them uncertain is to give off an air of competence. Nobody walks into a room and says, who's going to give me the worst fight in here? Who's going to take my perfectly good robbery and turn it into a gunfight? And so if you can get to the point where you seem serious, people understand what serious is. And violent criminal actors have no interest in it. Um, so developing competence, right? When you're competent, you're confident. And when you're confident, it shows. So I, I'm a big believer in, in, in really mastering fundamental skills and get, getting better at important skills because you're sending a message by your confidence and your competence. Well, and to be clear, too, that does not mean... Let me back up. So I think that if we, you know, you and I were to think about either the people we've attended courses with or the students that we've had or just maybe some of the tropes that exist inside of the personal protection community, we could all look to an example of somebody that is trying really hard to look dangerous. Right. But – in a blustery way. You, you know what I mean? And, you know, the, I do. And that's a real danger. Um, the notion that you're going to scare off a street level criminal is absurd. All we want to do is influence the math to get to the point where we're just not a perfect yes. The only goal is to be other than yes. Um, that when, you know, when you walk into a room and you're looking for somebody that has jumper cables, you're just looking for somebody that has jumper cables. You're not looking for a specific kind of person. Uh, and so, you know, the the notion that we're going to find some method of being where street-level criminals are going to look at us and say, oh, no, I would never mess with that person, uh, that's a bridge too far. All we're trying to do is influence the decision and, frankly, pass their attention on to someone else. You know, it's a zero-sum game out there, and I don't want to be the victim. Um, but, uh, you know, recognizing that you're, you're, what you're trying to do is influence, not um, not scare. Well, because the danger 
there, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the danger there is that that act of trying to appear a thing that, well, maybe you think you are this thing, but you're not, and the way that the type of person I'm talking about approaches that can actually open themselves up to conflict and confrontation and potential violence, can't it? Oh, ab- absolutely, because you're, that that look may very well be seen as aggression. And at that point, you've given the bad guy all the moral justification he needs. I'm standing here minding my own business, and you're coming off hard. Well, now it's your fault. Um, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna uniformly view that as a as something you did to them because it helps them maintain the image that they're the good guy. Um, so yeah, we want to be really careful with this notion of you know slinging a lot of power around because it makes us feel good. And do you think that that involves? A certain detachment of ego and then like a sort of like secondary question to that just just to save time is is that detachment of ego just something we should be doing anyway it would be nice you know we don't want to be invested in every interaction you know to the to the max um it's it's it puts once it becomes a conflict a linear a versus b conflict then it gets really sticky because there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. Um, and by and large, street-level criminals are better at conflict than nice, normal, ordinary, rational people. Um, and so we don't want to engage that kind of risk if we can possibly help it. And if you can let go of your ego, you know, I always said the toughest two words in the English language for many guys seems to be my bad. Uh, you know, just taking that one little step back from the ledge can solve a bunch of problems, but it seems to be harder than it, uh, harder than it should be for a lot of people. Right. So we have another question, um, and this is from Greg Leatherberry, and he asks, with the recent volatility being driven by COVID-19 and the protests quickly going from peaceful to violent riots, how has the game changed mm-hmm. for VCAs looking for a target? With so, many ma- with so many wearing masks, what other clues, nonverbal cues are more likely to be noticed when you have been chosen as a potential target? That's a good question because, you know, ma- you know, it used to be if you walk into a store and there's somebody with a mask on, well, that would mean a certain thing is happening. But now we don't know what it means, and so we're stuck in this ambiguous space, and we have to pay a lot closer attention to demeanor, which means how do I feel standing with this person? Um, and and you got to just listen to your general threat detection systems because we're robbed of the face. You know, the face is where we get most of our information about other people. But nowadays, we're robbed of the face. We just don't get to see it. And so it, it, it's going to pay to listen much more closely to how do I feel. It's sort of like a, you're testing for a resonance, right? Sampling your own feelings and saying, what does it feel like to stand near this person? Do I feel at risk? Do I feel okay? And listening to the, to the feedback you get from your own detection mechanisms. Because we're robbed of our primary one. We just can't see people's faces right now. It's sort of like a follow-up question to that that I have would be, you know, so, so you and I are, are, are from, and you're, you more so than me, but are familiar with Craig Douglas's work on managing unknown contacts and sort of the, um, the cues associated with impending violence. Do you... Do you think any of those change or are modified due to 
the current well, the, the things one, going on? Yeah, the, the one that catches my attention is that normally facial grooming tics are an excellent predictor of, of, a, of a violent attack. People tend to touch their face. Well, everybody's touching their face now. You're adjusting masks. The ear loop fell off. It, it slid over my eye. And so we're getting, we can get cues of facial contact that don't give us that information. And that's what we call trash in the system. You're stuck with information that is dispositive under different circumstances. But now it's just noise, just trash. And it steals our processing energy. So it's, it, it's a, that's, that's one that really catches my attention lately. Um, people can't help it. You know, I know we're not supposed to touch our masks and all that, but you're just constantly fidgeting with it. And, and I think that can give false information, especially to people who are trying to pay attention to free assault indicators. Here I am trying to be safe. And I see this guy working his mask out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, hold on a second. I've seen that particular gesture lead to a sucker punch, but is that what this is now? And now I have to use a cruder method of examination, which is listening to my own feelings, my own feelings about that man's demeanor. So we lose our, our top shelf interpretation tool. We have to use the ones that are of lower quality, and that means we're going to get lower output quality too. Do you think that that becomes difficult because – I have I have noticed that when we start discussing like feelings, specifically inside of this uh, group of individuals that that are interested in these sorts of things, that feelings are oftentimes there's like a negative connotation with those almost in the, in the right circle. Oh yeah, right. So oh yeah, well, you know when I say when I say things like listen to your feelings, people just roll their eyes. Right. But what I, what I'm really asking is. Listen to your thinking. What is your visceral response? Because, you know, you are your instrument. You are the instrument that you use to gather data about the world. You're a filter, if you will. Well, how you feel in response to something in your environment is incredibly powerful. You know, we're not very good animals, and yet we rule the world. And largely it's because we have two things that we're really, really good at, threat detection and behavior prediction. We're really, really good at those things. And so we've got to use those, those uh, skills, and they, they, they're based in our ability to listen to how it feels to be on the inside of me right now. Yeah, this guy gives me the creeps. That's important because there's a resonance going on, and the ancient parts of our brain are saying, I don't like this. This feels like a threat. And so the less we listen, the more at risk we are. Well, and that's going to actually segue into the next question that we have really well, but we are at the break. So right now we're answering your questions with Dr. William April of April Risk Consulting. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from ModLite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and now you need an optic on your carry gun? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those and they're not going to tell anybody. Block accessories? Yes. Fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike and you'll like Ike too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're answering your questions with William April from April Risk Consulting. And um, 
this next one I, I think is actually going to feed into the, what we were just talking about really well. Uh, and this one is from, and I apologize, I, I probably am going to pronounce this name incorrectly, but I believe it's Amon Burge. As we interface with the current iteration of polite society, how do we synthesize the concepts of anti-racism racism, and managing unknown contacts, i.e., the act of crossing the street when a person of a different race ethnicity is approaching may be interpreted as racist. However, maintaining appropriate distance is a key tool of managing unknown contacts. How can we reconcile the dissonance? Well, it's a, it's a dilemma, especially you know these days when you know unconscious bias, as people talk about it, is all the rage. Um, but also, it's you know people have a right to ma- make themselves feel as safe as they can. And um, it's not really, uh, I don't think, uh, a right that gets divisible. Um, for me to feel safer, I'm going to do what I have to do. And I don't think it's fair to say that I can do what I have to do as long as you like it. Um, you know, I think uh, it might help a lot of people to take a step back from the brink that everything is political and everything is about me. And if somebody crosses the street, it's about me instead of about them. Um, you know, I think if we all took a step back toward minding our own business, um, we'd be a little better off. Um, but to, to look at every action and interpret it as being negative about me, as opposed to just something that the author of the action needed to do to feel safe for him or herself, that 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 requires a lot of perspective because it's much easier to blame my bad feelings on someone else, right? Um, you're looking down on me. You're crossing the street, making me feel bad. Well, no, not at all. I'm, I'm doing what I think I need to do to be safe, um, and doesn't really have anything to do with you. You know, a little bit of return to uh, what I used to call the United States of how about, how about we just leave each other alone? Uh, you know, that 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 we recognize that everything isn't a personal affront. That's a that's a conscious decision we've got to make to step back from the brink of just this real incredible offense culture that we seem to be stuck in right now. Well, it seems to me that sort of like a byproduct of everything that's going on right now, and even a byproduct of our own community, is that we are incredibly, incredibly willing to enforce our own boundaries on other people, but also equally unwilling to accept someone else's personal boundary. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 one of the painfully stupid things that we do as people to say that, you know, I'm going to want to govern your behavior, but I'm not a, for a, even a second going to let you try to govern mine. Um, that's a little that's uh, that's a little unusual and yet uh, pretty common. Uh, it's it, it's I think it speaks to this notion that um, uh, if only you would act different, we'd get along better. Um, well, that's that's a pretty uh, a pretty juvenile perspective, and and one that I think would help if a lot of us got over. Well, so how do we get over that? How do we how do we acknowledge that? And what's a healthy way to start to to make progress on that? I guess. Well, I guess the first thing is, what on earth? You know, I really ask people this question sometimes. Where do you derive the basis to tell another person what to do? You're not their boss. You don't sign their check. You're not married to them. Where on earth do you get the right to say, you must stop this so I feel different? Uh, I just don't understand how that became um, 
acceptable. Um, and I, I, you know, a lot of it you'll hear. Um, you know, I think people are really troubled by the actions of uh, governments leading into the um, lockdown because there's so many times when we're being told you have to do this, and I'll say, well, why? What what expertise or what under you know what understanding underpins that decision? No, you just have to do it. We're telling you you have to do it. Well, that's not how America rolls. Um, and so to hear it from other people um, and to walk around all day feeling encumbered that it's my job to change my actions, my thoughts, my behavior so that you feel better just because you said you want to. Well, that's a big ticket item, and I'm not sure I'm willing to pay for it. Um, not without some compelling rationale. So thinking about the value of telling other people what to do. I'm not quite sure where we where we get that in a lot of circumstances. Well, and it doesn't help that I mean, and it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, but it doesn't help that we are the world champions of I won't do what you tell me and have been for the last, you know, 250 years. Yeah, good couple of hundred years uh, where, you know, and that's the danger is, you know, there, there's eventually a point, and frankly, that point's getting a lot closer to the surface where I'm not going to do it because you told me to do it, even if it's a good idea, um, that people are just getting tired of, of having their their judgment substituted for, right? Um, and that's a you know that's that's a really negative feeling that somebody's just um, just trying to. I mean, it feels like just rampant control, and I don't think people respond to that very well. Yeah. Um, hmm. We could we could probably riff on that a little bit more, but we have another question that actually sort of pairs well with the 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 leave each other alone thing, sort of. But this one is from James Mounts. And and this 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 is kind of a neat question, I think. Um, Two different houses have been moved into in my neighborhood. I want to welcome people as new neighbors. How do I do that now? I lived here 20 years, so we don't get too many new neighbors. Hmm. It's interesting, you know, because neighborliness, you know, used to be the sort of cornerstone of a neighborhood, but uh, we're much more atomistic nowadays. We tend to kind of stay by ourselves. And, you know, the the traditional housewarming approach was, you know, you person moved into your neighborhood, you'd give them a chance to pack some boxes and things, but then eventually you'd walk over with a bottle of wine or a six-pack of beer or, you know, a basket full of welcome to the neighborhood. Um, but the the earliest thing I would recommend is to do it as quickly as you feel the urge to do it. The longer you wait, the more self-conscious you'll feel, and you're actually less likely to do it. You know, it's not at all wrong for your neighbors to have phone numbers. And how's he going to get your phone number except from you? Hey, your house is on fire, Bob. You know, that yeah. information would be really valuable. Uh, so, you know, to walk over and say, hey, this is how you get me. This is my wife. Here's my cell phone. You know, if you need anything, give us a call. Uh, but, but quickly, do it quickly so that you don't start to feel odd. Because the, the, the more odd you feel, the less likely you are to do it. Well, that sort of speaks to a larger issue. And and it appears to me, and we can talk about this, that more and more these days, and I, and I have thoughts as to why it is, but we have a difficult time connecting with people in, like, meat space, you know, so, like, in real life uh, for, for lack of a more... I don't know, eloquent way to say that. And it sort of reminds me, there's a, a Joaquin Phoenix movie that, that I like quite a lot. 
uh, called Her, which is essentially, you know, AI is developed and he falls in love with this artificial intelligence that he's downloaded onto his phone. But but the interesting part of the movie to me is not necessarily that aspect of it, though that aspect is interesting. The interesting aspect to me is how he makes his living in this, like, undis- you know, undisclosed future. And the way he makes his living is by writing handwritten notes. So, like, of, of any topic, like someone calls in or, or emails him, says the general concept of what they want to say, and then his job is to literally write like a like a thoughtful note or greeting card or, you know, whatever it is, and then send it to that person. And it's this concept mm. that, like, the service industry has taken over personal connection, like, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But but it kind of seems plausible. It, it sort of seems like maybe we're going that way. Um, and, and I'd kind of like to get your thoughts, but I, I timed this poorly and we're coming up on a break. So I will I will get your response after the break. Right now we're answering questions with William April from April Risk Consulting. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. So we're answering your questions with William April from April Risk Consulting. And and I, I had sort of talked about, like, how we're losing the ability to form human connections in relations to the, the question that was asked about how do I introduce myself to my new neighbors. So, so what are your thoughts? Right. Well, I think it's hard because online interactions feel safer. Uh, we can curate how we come across, or at least we think we can. Uh, we can uh, only reveal what we, what we think will be helpful. Whereas, you know, meet space, regular interaction, the other person's perceptions are going to go where they're going to go. Uh, and you can't shape your image of, of who you are quite as well. And so it starts to feel a little weirder and weirder to have a more uncontrolled interaction. And you say, well, this one makes me feel safer and maybe I'll just stay here. And you don't notice the sort of horizon shrinking around you, um, but uh, it can happen. And then you know, the less you do something, the less natural it feels, the less comfortable you are, the good feedback is harder to get. And so the face-to-face interactions can start to seem downright problematic. And next thing you know, you're only online. Um, and that, you know, that's, I think that's a real loss. But I understand that the feeling of safety drives it most of the time. It's, I don't know if I'm just approaching the point in my life where, like, the world is starting to look unrecognizable, unrecognizable to, like, the world that I grew up in. And I think maybe that's just a natural progression of living. I, I don't know. But, like, it, it's always... <clears throat> I'm starting to understand perspectives that I never used to understand in regards to, well, the world was better or get up. Like the, the, the angry old man, like yelling at clouds sort of like in my day. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it does really seem like there has been, you know, a huge shift in making those personal connections in real life. Um, specific- oh, yeah. If you look at um, surveys taken of how many close friends people have, the number's never been smaller. Um People just don't have many close friends. Uh, and, and I think that is part of online interaction is it broadens but shallows interactions 
So you may know, you know, you may very well say, hell, I know more people than I could even imagine. But do you? You know, having interacted with somebody on Facebook, does that mean you know him? Uh, I don't know. The number of close friends people have has never been lower. Well, and even, so like I consider you a friend. Like I've I've known you for, you know, seven, eight years now. Like we've, we run in the same circles. We know a lot of the same people and stuff like that. But like, I don't know, sure. any, I don't know anything going on in your life except at a, a very shallow level. Like, um, you know, and vice versa. And, and that's kind of, I think that's sort of what you're talking about is like the level of involvement that people have and the people they know now. And we're not as, well, we're, you know, we're, we're also dramatically more diffused than we used to be. You know, the, the easiest way to make close friends is live near them. And yet now, you know, I, I often joke, you know, you know, someone will say, well, where do your friends live? And I will say Narnia. Yep. You know, <laughs> because, you know, you can maintain connectivity with people at such greater distances. I mean, when I was a child, the notion of picking up a phone and calling my friend in Seattle would have been unthinkable, just not something that you would do. But now it's with, with our, you know, linked communication systems. It's not hard at all to have friends literally scattered to the four corners of the continent. And that's a new thing. But it is harder to be a close friend from thousands of miles away. It just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so you can maintain levels of contact, but they're not as deep. Yeah, it, it's just, I don't. It's an intriguing thing to to think about. Um, it we, is, and it's a, it's a kind of question of uh, you know, bang for the buck. Yeah, yeah. No, I I see what you're saying. Um, we'll move on to another question because I I've seen a lot of this, and and this is worth discussing. This one comes from Johnny King. What, if any equipment and gear, have you changed throughout this season of unrest? Is there another level of awareness and mindset that we need to be thinking about going forward? Well, I can tell you one big change for me. Um, uh, I remember very well the L.A. riots and what happened to Reginald Denny. Um, So I am not going to submit to being stopped at a roadblock, Um, these floating roadblocks that people are establishing to try and cause conflict. Uh, I carry a... uh, giant uh, bear spray dispenser and um, I'm going to spray the people that try to stop me on the highway. I'm not getting stuck in a traffic jam by people that I don't know uh, on a highway. That strikes me as manifestly dangerous. Um, and so I'm not going to tolerate that. So, so adding a giant bear spray to my car carry, yes, that's a big change. Well, and for me, pers- taking, the, taking the advice of Chuck Haggard, by the way. Yeah, no. And, and he's someone who's worth, taking advice from and you know for me personally for me personally there's been you know and i'm not doing it right now because i don't feel the need to but the fact that it even crossed my mind that this might possibly be useful you know during during the start of the pandemic season i guess we could call it uh when things were much more uncertain and things were much more scary like back when there was nothing on the shelves and and like our grocery stores were we're starting to look like the grocery stores you would see other places in times of unrest. Um, you know, I started I started rolling around with like a bag gun, like a, a mm-hmm. you know the concept of a, a PDW, you know, personal. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know a lot, a lot of a lot of people were were starting to carry rifles in the car just in case they found themselves in the middle of chaos. Yeah, and and that's you know I kind of was like second guessing myself. Uh, about that at various points, because for years I've railed against those. I, I've thought they were ridiculous. 
you know, in like sort of like a masturbatory fantasy of like, yeah, that's great if you can get to it, but um, you know, the 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 handgun on you will will do for what what violence in the U.S. actually looks like. But then all of a sudden, I'm thrust into this you know set of circumstances that is novel, you know, at least in my lifetime, yeah. and it's like. Uh, well, the time to need it is not the time to decide that I wish I had that, you know. And and what was right. what was also interesting to me is, you know, seeing someone like Craig Douglas post pictures online, uh, like he had a bad gun set up, you know. And and I think of Craig as one of the most dangerous and capable and intelligent people inside of this community at all. And and. I, you know, I don't presume to know his reasoning. I didn't ask him. He didn't tell me. So, you know, his his reasoning could have been entirely different than mine. I wouldn't presume to know. But, but the fact that that was even a concept that he was exploring, you know, was was really uh, – I don't know. You no, know, when, somebody, when somebody that squared away starts to be afraid of the same thing you are, uh, it would be important to pay attention. Right, um, because it means that his risk assessment is uh, changed. That that it, we're not talking about a street crime that you probably can solve with the pistol you have on you, but you might find yourself in a space where you need more to solve the problem that you found. Right. Um, so, would you say that it is completely useful to have your risk assessment be a mobile thing versus a fixed concept? that does not take in new information? Oh, no, it, it has to be constantly adjusted. You've got to think about what's changed in my life that exposes me to more risk, what's made me safer, do I have to do other things now? It's a floating, uh, It's a floating. I think of it as a curve, and you've got to work on that curve all the time uh, because situations change all the time. Uh, job change, you know, where might you be on a different day than, than you used to be? All that stuff factors in. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, let's get another, another question. Do you want a silly question? Uh, like a Lay it so, on me. sort of like lighten the mood a little bit because we're coming up on the end of the show and, and I'd hate to get into one that like we, we sort of short change, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. but this one is from Yorkus Rex, which I assume is a, uh, is an online pen name. Uh, otherwise I'm sorry that your parents hated you. Um, but, and if it is a real name, I really feel bad because now I've insulted someone's name. But I feel like I've earned that since I have a first name and a last name that are exactly the same. And mm. it's not quite like a boy named Sue, but it was close growing up. But the question is, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? Hmm. I think a horse-sized duck would be really dangerous. You know, the, the head would be huge. The bill would be, oh, man, that would be like getting hit with a surfboard. I got to go with the 100 little ones. No, see, I disagree, and, I, and I'm actually willing to die on this hill, and I will explain my answer. I, I, I feel that while one horse-sized duck would, in fact, pose a problem, it would be a problem, if you think about the sheer numbers of 100 duck-sized horses, like while they might not be able to do much damage at once, you know, 
quantity has a quality all its own, and I don't carry a hundred rounds of anything on my person, or even in my you know my bag gun. You know, yeah, you got to figure though. You know, I could if I could kick a horse sized duck, I could probably do some damage, but I don't think kicking a a horse sized duck would hurt it at all. That's a couple thousand pounds of, of duck. That would be hard. Yeah, Ooh, it sounds delicious though. Yeah, I I don't know. Well. We'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to save further discussion of that for a later date because we are I guess so at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a silly place. We should we should we'll leave. never get to the bottom of this. No, no. Um, so if people want to find out more of your thoughts on the horse sized duck versus duck sized horse dilemma, or maybe even more I don't know pressing matters. Where can they uh, where can they find you at? Where can they train with you at? Yeah, they can find me at April Risk Consulting, which is A P R I L L Risk Consulting, or on Instagram. Every day I post little nuggets for people to think about and uh, take a little tactical minute to to get your mindset right. And uh, also on Facebook under the same name, April Risk Consulting. Those are great places to get your feet in the water and uh, think about coming out and taking a class. All right, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is this is a lot of fun. And uh, I'm sorry that, that there was such a pause in between appearances on the show. I will try and, and fix myself as far as that goes. Not at all. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, man. Well, hey, be safe. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, okay? And you too. Have a great day. All right. Hey, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star review on iTunes if you think we've earned it. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe and see you next week. Don't try.